This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You gave the example of when Muhammad Ali took his position. He had the Black Power Movement to frame it on. When John Carlos and and when Kaepernick took his position, they could frame it under the Black Lives Matter movement. He said, when you and Craig did what you did, there was no more. And it was like you were in an ocean all along with no paddle. (laughs) What's happening? Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast, episode number 253. And as far as this guest goes, he and I go way back. In fact, here's one of the first interviews that I did early in my TV career, and it could not be a better time to catch up with a nine-year NBA vet with an absolutely amazing story to tell, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Mahmoud truly was a player way ahead of his time in more ways than one. A two-time consensus All-American in college who went on to become a dead-eye, stone-cold sharpshooter in the association. But anybody who knows his story knows there's a lot more to that story than just that. And the new Showtime documentary, Stand, is telling the entire story. And we're about to dive into all of it with Mahmoud right now, so let's not waste another second. It is episode 253 with former NBA star Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, and it's coming at you right now. Mahmoud, my man, it has been a minute or so. I want to say that you and I actually truly, really do go back. You were one of my first interviews when I started in television back in the 90s, so it is really great to connect with you and talk about your documentary, Stand, which premieres February 3rd on Showtime. How are things? How are you, my man? I won't complain. I do remember that time, too. I remember I didn't want to have makeup put on me. <laughs> <laughs> you were not the only one. And by the way, I'm still doing that, and I still don't want that stuff. So I feel you. I understand. Listen, this is clearly not the first time you have spoken about the stand and the ramifications thereof, but it is the first time that you sat down for a production of this magnitude. Clearly, you had thought about this for quite some time. Why was this the right time for the documentary? Well, I don't know if it's actually the right time, but it, it definitely feels like it. Uh, and I think uh, I know that uh, years ago uh, I, I had something to say, but I think with the fact that I'm 53 now, uh, I've done more reading, I've experienced more in life, I've had more conversations, and 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 then with the changing of things, you know, social and political, um, I, I think I'm in a better position now to articulate exactly, for the most part, what I was thinking and feeling. So take us back. Maybe at that time you were not in that position to articulate exactly what you were thinking and feeling. What led you to your decision not to stand for the national anthem back then? Oh, my. I began to do a lot of reading. And uh, sorry about that. I began to do a lot of reading. Uh, came across a lot of authors, the Noam Chomsky's, the Howard Zinn's. I mean, the list is long. And just talking about so much about foreign policy, domestic policy, uh, my faith in and of itself, the importance of standing up for justice, not giving your allegiance to any but God. Uh, you can't be for justice and injustice at the same time, just a host of different concepts. And uh, and finding out so much that was happening um, in the world and how America is so much involved in a lot of those things, 
I saw it was diametrically opposed to my faith and, and, and what I was as a person. Yeah, so I wonder that that's, it's very heady and you were thinking very deeply about these things. Jay Wynn Rose, for instance, says in the documentary, quote, we should have had his back and we didn't, end of quote. I'm curious, how does that make you feel when you hear that? And did you feel like you had the backing of your peers at that time? Uh, some. Some uh, backed me. There was Jalen Rose. Kimbe said something positive. Mostly all of my teammates, Lafonso Ellis, Dale Ellis, you know, Brian Stiff. Um, uh, it, it's nice uh, that, that he would – it's consistent with what he was and how he was back then, that he vocalized that today. However, I wasn't surprised because history just have proven that the majority of people, when, when anything like this happened, the majority was not, are not going to respond. It's always going to be the relative few that take positions and, and that become vocal. So it wasn't a surprise. It was still, a, it was more like a disappointment because like, man, we're still in this place, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, to where we're doing the same old thing and we can't expect change to happen if we do that. Hmm. What about the Islamic community at that time? Do you feel like you had their support? No. Um, uh, I did. Uh, again, it was a mixture. Uh, in terms of the quote-unquote immigrant community, uh, no. Uh, because I think they were coming from a place of not wanting to get deported, being assimil- you know, trying to assimilate, and there's the sphere factor involved. And who wants to be deported, right? Who wants to lose their, their, their livelihood? Nobody does. And I, I understood it, didn't agree with it. And that was the most disappointing that uh, you, I would have thought that, especially with our history, uh, in terms of Islam and what it teaches about standing up for justice in all walks of faith, that they would be quick to want to do that. But it, it wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you understood that there was going to be some consequences. You knew there'd be some backlash. I mean, these are never easy choices, never easy things to do. Did you have any idea what would be the result of the stand? For instance, what happened to your life off of the floor as a result of the stand? What happened after that? You know what? I had some idea, of course, because I was reading at the time, and you hear the you hear about John Carlos and Tommy Lee. You hear about Muhammad Ali, right? Anybody who have in particular, uh, targeted the American flag and the anthem, which is a, uh, the most recognized, if not most revered symbol, you know, uh, in this country. So I definitely had an idea, but a part of me, <laughs> Jim, was like, you know what? I guess you call it delusional hope. <laughs> that, sure. Uh, things have changed, and and people have come around and. And it's not going to be this way because a part of it, too, is we talk about this stuff all the time. Like the same people that are interviewing me about it, uh, many of the journalists are on the planes with us. They're in the gym. You know, they're, they're on the road with us. So on these buses and planes, we have these conversations all the time. So I didn't think. And then you hear academics and, 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 and scholars discussing these issues. So I'm thinking, well, shoot, the world knows already. So part of me was like, ah, this is common knowledge. But it wasn't the case. No, it certainly was not. What I want to ask you about somebody that I, I hold in the highest regard, I have profound respect for, and I've talked to him for decades, not, not in recent years, I don't want to say years, but not in a moment or two, but Dr. Harry Edwards is somebody I hold in the highest regard. When did you first come mm-hmm. into contact with him, and what did he think of the stand? What did he make of it? You know, uh, I'm, I did a program with him, I think in San Diego, I can't remember, uh, some years ago, pre-pandemic, and uh, 
he mentioned something to me that I didn't think about. This is why he's who he is. He said uh, that he gave the example of when Muhammad Ali, you know, took his position. He had the Black Power movement to frame it under. When John Carlos oh, and, and and when Kaepernick took his position, they could frame it under the Black Lives Matter movement. He said, when you and Craig did what you did, there was no movement. And it was like you were in an ocean all along with no paddle, right? And so this is basically what he said. Uh, he didn't he didn't say that he disagreed with it. Uh, he didn't mention those words, but this is how he framed it when he was talking to me. And it was it was uh, uh, more so applauding it, uh, the decision, and, and 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 standing up for what you believe in. Yeah, being a man of principle. Man, that is music. That is absolute music to my ears. You should know by now exactly what that sound represents, that that is the very best kind of notification you could ever hear. It is the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment that another business dream has become a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. It doesn't even matter what you're selling. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. I mean anything. Succulents or stilettos. Flaky salt or fine art prints. All sorts of categories. Fashion, home and garden, health and beauty. Essentially anything. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up right now for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase, Go to shopify.com slash Rome to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. See, the fact of the matter is, though, you, for those who do not know, for those who do not remember, you were a world-class player, an absolutely elite player, one of the top players, certainly one of the purest shooting players ever. And then you make this stand, and then it all just deteriorated, and it happened so quickly and it was extreme. Like, exactly what did happen to you once you stopped playing? Once I stopped playing? Yes. Well, uh, listen, when you spend most of your life trying to hone your skills on a basketball, uh, basketball court, other areas of your life uh, are, not, uh, are not developed. And especially if you're coming out the background that I came out of, of, of not being educated, you know, growing up with a mother with you know, limited in that regard, education. So there was a lot that I didn't know. And and people take advantage of you. And then you make mistakes, right? Because you haven't, you know, you didn't grow up in a family where there's critical thinking skills and problem solving and balancing budgets and investing. And so you got to learn the hard way. And as a result, and then too, as African-American, we don't have generational wealth. So we, we're taking care of usually multiple families, not just our own, you know, because people depend on us. And so without those business deals coming through and some of them going sour and then some people taking advantage through stocks and bonds, right? You're trying to figure the world out, you know, that you're not getting that NBA money anymore and, and the money is deteriorating. And then I ended up coming home one day 
and I've been playing overseas. And then my wife at the time tells me, and I keep track of like, okay, I know I got this money. And then she tells me, and we're going through divorce at the time. She tells me, well, we don't have anything. We're broke. When I say broke, I mean dead broke, zero. And I said, what are we going to do? I said, look, I'm not, I can't pull money out of a hat. And it was a few friends that, that I have that I've given in the past. Never asked anybody for anything, but they heard about it. They called me and they helped me somewhat. But it got to the point where I was like, uh, I, I lost my home. But before that, I mean, I, I was living in the cold. I didn't have heat. I would have to light these little candles and put them in the bedroom. I mean, put them in the uh, bathroom, close the door because it was the smallest room in the house and sleep on the floor. You know, and been reduced back to eat what I was eating when I was growing up. I said, wow, what, what you know, <laughs> life as a full term. But I never, even people that were very close to me, until the book came out, and I never knew. Because I, this was something I got into. God wills, I, I got to get myself out of it. And it was one of the hardest moments ever that I had, you know, that I experienced in my life. And keeping it a secret uh, for, for most people and still keeping a smile on my face and still just like, man, please, God, guide my steps. I don't know what I'm going to do, but please point me in the right direction. And don't let me, don't, don't, don't let me, don't let me lose my way in this process. I know this is a test. Yep. Mahmoud, it's it's an amazing story and anecdote that you just shared. I mean, terrible, terrible stuff. What was your process? How were you able to get through that? How were you able to maintain your faith? How did you work your way out of that? You know, again, faith is what governs everything I do, even though I'm not perfect, far from it. And so, you know, constantly analyzing and engaging what God is telling me. You know, everywhere where he says, I'm going to try you with something, he's also reinforces it with something good. I'm not going to give you a burden you can't bear. You know, with difficulty comes ease, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself those stories, you know, uh, and, and, and instead of uh, resting and drowning in that moment, you know, because what you focus on grows, I said, no, you know, God, you ain't going to, this is not meant to, to dehumanize me. You, you sending me through this to elevate me, to teach me something. Just help me to stay strong. So I would always reinforce it with some positive. Then I surrounded myself around people that just, you know, that were positive, and even though they didn't know. And I stayed busy. I stayed moving, even though I didn't know what was going to happen. And then doors began to slowly open, invited to speaking engagements here, not knowing what to charge, and then people liking what I got to say, and invited to this speaking engagement, talk about this issue or that issue. And then I was able to do it long enough to where I was able to pull my pension. But then you pull it in early at 45, you you might as well say half of it's gone. <laughs> and then I'm going through a divorce, so I got to get that half up as well. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. Yeah. I'll tell you what's, but that's I, what I, did it. You know, you know what? I love what you just said. What you focus on grows. What you focus on grows. I love that so much. I mean, you kind of answered it, but it would be so natural to be bitter about some of this or frankly most of it and i already know the answer because i can hear it in your voice but i'll ask the question are you bitter or angry about the way things transpired well i mean don't get me wrong i think i think anger is a tool i don't think we should drown in our anger but god has given us these emotions to use in, in the wisest way you know, we got a right to be angry at things that that we feel are unjust so yeah i don't think that because i took a position to say something about how I feel about this country, which is our right as human beings. Forget what the Constitution say, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence. God gave us that right to, to voice, you know, what we feel. But it's not that it was wrong. 
right? Uh, and so to have your career destroyed as a result of that, as far as I'm concerned, it's a strong word, it's criminal, right? Uh, and so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm bitter because I don't think also that much has changed with how things are done, even with the NBA. You know, uh, they say they're more progressive now. If you compare them to the NFL, you know, one could argue seemingly they're more progressive. But I don't think that that's the case. I think it's more they're just more savvy in how they go about things. And and there's examples of that, you know, things that have happened in the league and the fact that they haven't even reached back. You know, you would think, okay, if you've changed, you know, Craig Hodges did something that every citizen should have the right to do, even if you're not a citizen. If you see where there's things that could help, and if you're a leader of the country, why wouldn't you accept someone's recommendations or at least look at them? And so people condemned him for that. But the people that should be condemned is not Craig, not the citizens. It should be the people that felt that there was something wrong with it. And so they haven't even reached back. I talked to Craig. said, man, all these conventions and talk about social justice, they haven't even reached back to ask me to come speak. So usually if there's a change, you want to reach back and say, who have been affected by this? Let's bring them on. Let's, let's, let's have this discussion. So, yeah, I, I'm still angry at that because so many lives are affected. As a result, you know, monies was lost. Families that could have benefited from that uh, was affected as a result of what? Somebody's personal feelings, being sensitive about not what was wrong, not what was inaccurate, right? That, no, just based on some, what, what someone feels and believes. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? I mean, that expression, your belief in that expression, when you talk about how that destroyed your career, is there any doubt in your mind that you were blackballed from the NBA because of those beliefs? You know, at first, I I fought against wanting to say it. And I say this a lot. It's like we're in the habit of, if a white person does something to us, because racism is is an integral part of just the world, right? And so we're quick to want to go to the right. Oh, that was racist. Not everything somebody do to you as white is racist. So not every time somebody lose their career in the NBA is it blackballing, right? But as I begin to look at the patterns, and I'm looking at man, okay, I'm traded. I'm traded at a time. I'm I'm in my prime. And I'm getting off this year, but but also, you know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm looking at two, and I didn't know it at the time. That they did a poll that I'm the most popular guy athlete in Denver, even over John Elway. And you know how Denver feels about John Elway. You bet. But then I get, to Sac- I get to Sacramento, then my minutes decrease. And then usually when I didn't play, reporters would come to me, hey, you know, uh, why aren't you playing? 
but it's like it was hands off. Very few, right? And they would broach the subject. And then they come out with this special about the top free throw shooters in the league. I'm not even mentioned. <laughs> I'm so, oh, you know, we know that there are relationships and everything, the relationships in business and, 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 and kind of like what happened to Kaepernick, the collusion people. And so I'm starting to look at this. I'm like, yeah, I can see the writing on the wall. Okay, don't play him. Get, put him in uh, compromising situations. Put him in, take him out, have a lot of games where he don't play. Then we give the impression that this guy don't have it anymore. And it's easy because there are laws in this country, right? You just can't come out and say, we're getting rid of you because of. And then news began to come out. My agent at the time, Sharif, called uh, Coangelo when he was at Phoenix. And before he could even finish his statement, Coangelo said, we're not interested. It has nothing to do with basketball either. I said, oh, my goodness, I wish I'd had that uh, recorded. And then the guy that wanted me to come for the Clippers during that summer, uh, I'm looking at Elgin Baylor. They called me to come back to the gym. They want to talk to me. They're looking for a guard. So Elgin Baylor, he comes, uh, the guy comes back and he said, Elgin, uh, he said, my mother, I apologize. I said, why? He said, man, I know I called you here, but Elgin don't want to talk to you on account of what you said on HBO. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just giggle. I said, look, man, I appreciate you coming. I said, but I don't have any respect for him. I said, one, you know, I know he has boxes to answer to. I get it. But, 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 but two, you're just going to accept what the media tell you and, and, and not one of how many times they misquoted people and everything else. And you're not, you're just going to take their word and you don't have the man enough to come and tell me yourself after inviting me here. And so all of those things just for sure to answer your question, I believe that that was the case. Well, you know, Mahmoud, it's one thing to have your livelihood or career taken from you, but you also said at one point, quote, I was going to die every day. I mean, was your life threatened? Was your life at stake? Is that a figure of speech? What do you mean when you say that? How dire was that? Well, that, well, well in that context, I was talking about my training when I was growing up with Tourette syndrome. Yeah. You know, and, and it pushed you beyond where you yourself, I, I always say this, I said, well, Tourette's has pushed me where I myself would not have gone without it. So when I wanted to stop playing, like I would have quit it, I would have stopped an hour and a half, two hours. I'm, I'm drenched. I'm, I'm breathing hard. But in that moment, it would say, no, you got to continue and you got to do it this way. You got to do it while you're tired. Uh, you got to make 10 shots. And none of them can uh, touch rim. They got to be in a row. And the move you make prior to making that shot could have no glitches. If there's one glitch, even if I'm at nine in a row, it's been perfect in my mind. And then 10 shots skimmed the rim and went in. I couldn't retake that shot and say 10. I had to start back over. That drill would take another hour and a half just to finish that. And then I would be walking off the court. I'd mess up a few times. I'd back up. I'm under the goal again. And if I was shooting, it didn't feel right. I had to do that 10 all over again. So sometimes that was two. And so I had to devise a strategy to start throwing the ball after I finished that drill of 10 after the initial two-hour workout. And I had to throw it towards my house. So once I got it and I'm dribbling home, if the ball mess, if I messed up and I backed up, I wasn't underneath the goal to shoot it. Therefore, I can get home. Otherwise, it was going. I mean, I, it was going to kill me. And that's what I meant. Like, literally every day was a day that I was flirting with death because of Tourette Syndrome. You know, I remember when you and I met, you told me about that, but it was obviously, it was not just basketball. Like, it was everything, right? It was like putting a key in a door. It was like your entire day from start to finish. Everything was like that. Oh, yeah, I mean, exactly. What, I mean, is it still? What's it like to live with Tourette's? Oh, the same. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you're, you're, you're constantly negotiating <laughs> uh, trying to satisfy its urges without without being so aggressive to where you're going to pop your neck 
break your neck, uh, uh, throw your arm out, uh, make people around you feel uncomfortable, uh, uh, have an aneurysm because you're holding your breath so tight. You know, it's it's a constant struggle to navigate until you go to sleep. You know what I mean? Uh, still, uh, I've been able to manage it a whole lot better because I, you know, with prayer and eat, trying to eat right and exercise and staying away from negative stress and, you know, all of that type of stuff, it helps. But every moment, literally, it's you're, you're, you're negotiating, creating that balance with the two satisfying. Mm-hmm. Mahmoud, before I let you go, knowing what you know now and living the life that you've lived, as you look back, and a lot of this is in the documentary, which is going to debut on Friday. It's an amazing thing to see. I've already seen it. Do mm-hmm. you regret anything? Would you change anything? Would you do anything differently? <laughs> well, with the luxury of hindsight, you know, I, I wouldn't change my position in terms of taking taking a stand. I would, though, you know, I do love some of the things I saw that Kaepernick did. You know, I think teams are important, like having the Know Your Rights campaign, right? And the thing, and not everything should be for public consumption. Like there are things you do and you just hide the other hand, right? Um, but I love how he, you know, spread out and sending food to Somalia and, and all of these things. Uh, I think that was genius. But outside of that, uh, I would, of course, I would love to say that I, I could have been more versed in, you know, the, the world around me and explaining things and articulating. But uh, outside of that, no, I don't regret it. I wouldn't change it because I never stopped because I haven't been seen in the media. You know, I never stopped uh, saying what I had to say in and going in that direction of educating myself and whoever would listen to share it with them. So before I let you go, I'm really curious then, what is your relationship then with the game itself? As an example, given everything you've been through, all the adversity, the fact you were blackballed from the NBA, did you ever lose that pure love for the game? No, I love the game. Uh, I, I, try, I, look, I work out every day. Uh, like, well, let me just say, almost every day. Um, um, and I still train people. You know, I've trained a lot of NBA guys, and I still do when they call. I love it. I train high school. I train college. Um, I, I was in the big three. You know what I mean? I love to compete, you know, in, in, in that arena. So I never lost love for the game. I just – I just uh, certain relationships, you know, I can do it. I don't have a relationship with the NBA, but I still have a relationship with certain NBA players. NBA fans, it is time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and win $200 in free bets instantly and for a limited time. All new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you will get a free bet back. So do this right now. Download the app now, sign up with the code ROME, R-O-M-E, new customers can bet 5 bucks on the NBA, and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with the code ROME. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. It's void in Ohio. See show notes for details. 
That makes sense. And I know, I watching you in the Big Three, I know how much you like that. So the documentary is absolutely tremendous. I'm so glad that you were finally able to tell it. You had your book already, but I'm so glad you could tell this story in long form, in doc form. Other than elevating the conversation and continuing it and opening minds, what do you hope comes from the release of the documentary stand? Oh, man, you just you just gave my answer. <laughs> so I'm going to add something else to it. Please. You know, everybody's dealing with something, right? And and whether it's issues of faith, which my story involves, whether it's issues of mental challenges, whether it's having uh, physical, you know, whether you want to label them disorders or diseases, uh, you know, uh, growing up, you know, not knowing a side of your family and growing up in poverty, which a lot of us share, uh, the being feeling like you've been duped in the educational system and misinformed and miseducated and having to try to re-educate yourself and, and develop the guts in, in terms of not being silent and to become vocal in the process of going through all of that. You know, how do you navigate coming out of when you get hit with a, a serious blow of going back into poverty? You got a family to feed and your children are looking at you and having your home, you know, uh, burned to the ground, right? You know, all of those, because never in the history of, I think, mankind, have you had so many youth that are experiencing mental illnesses and wanting to kill themselves, right? And so uh, all, all of those things, I hope that somebody could gain something from when looking at that story, whatever resonates with them, you know, take it and run with it. Can I just follow really quickly? When you say having to deal with having your home burned to the ground, is it accurate to say was it the clan that burned your house to the ground? You know what? That's a it's easy to say that, but it could have been that. There were there were there were Ku Klux Klan insignia there. There was a tra- uh, uh, truck tracks before that, uh, and then there was the burning. But it could have been the impression that it was the Klan, <laughs> right? You know, by by putting it up there. I I just know it was burned down, and I know it was in a in a part of town where it's known. I think is is also a part where Brett Favre is from, the Kill K I L N. It's a part where it's known to have a lot of uh, Klan activity. And we, when we said to the police that somebody in the little convenience store said they heard people coming in there talking about doing something to it, and they gave us names, of course, they said they investigated, but nothing came out of it. The FBI got involved, but they couldn't uh, find out who it was. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's suspected that it was there. As I mentioned, I've got the advanced copy of it already, so I know it's worth everybody's time. I've got profound respect for you. I have profound admiration for you. I'm glad that you remember that we kind of came up together in that regard, like from a media standpoint, an athlete standpoint, because I always remember the conversation. I would even say to you that I remember at that time, Christian Leitner was not doing any media, and we went out to him. And when he sat down with me in that same studio that you were in not long thereafter, I said, I got to be honest with you. And I was kind of a young, brash buck on the way up. I said, I got to be honest with you, Christian. I'm a little surprised that you're sitting here. And he said, I saw the interview that you did with Mock Mood, and I appreciated how you and he both handled it. And that's why I'm here today. So not only that, oh, wow. isn't that interesting? Like, because that guy was a different guy who didn't do that, but he saw our time together. So. That, that always meant a lot to me, too. I just share that with you because that's just one of those things I think about, and I think about those times. So much respect to you. It is so great to get caught up. Congratulations on the documentary. I want to remind everybody that it premieres on February 3rd. It's on Showtime, and I really do appreciate you so much. No, thank you so much.
Enormous thanks to Mark Mood for that conversation because that clearly is not an easy conversation to have, but there are very few that are better at hard conversations than he is. So I hope you got as much out of that as I did. If you're looking for more conversations like that one in a long-form, premium, unfiltered content that you cannot get anywhere else, then you are in the right place because I have over 250 episodes already banked and they're waiting for you. And if you want to be the first to know every single time a brand new app drops, just take one moment and smash the subscribe button right now. Stay tuned for episode 254. It's coming to you from Radio Row in Phoenix next week. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. We're out.